The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to our show. As you know, we're celebrating two things. We're celebrating ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, because as you all know, July 26th is the anniversary, so every year on this radio show, we take the month of July to remember. We have to remember, remember, remember what this is all about and what it means, and that's why during that month, we try to host prominent civil rights leaders and really people that are part of the history of the ADA. And the other thing we have to celebrate today is, you know, I'm located in Pittsburgh. And tonight, the All-Star Game is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I just wanted to send out a special greetings to everyone who will be visiting Pittsburgh and especially to the Pirates for how they coordinated all of this with the Major League. It really is a great thing for the city. So I hope all of you who are here... We'll enjoy our city because PNC Park is the most accessible stadium for people with disabilities in this country. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're celebrating the ADA, the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which this will be our 16th year anniversary. Hard to believe that in four years it will be 20 years. Imagine that. And over seven years ago... I was really lucky, you know, that I was really lucky because I had the great honor way back then of meeting this young leader in America who, you know, as soon as I met him, I knew, wow, this guy, unbelievable, bright, passionate, but, you know, you just know that he's going to be a leader of many, and that is exactly what happened because Andy Imperato is now the CEO of the very prestigious and prominent American Association people with disabilities. He is a civil rights champion. He is a friend. And I'm going to tell you before we interview him, he walks the talk. He really lives this every day. It is an honor to have him on our show today. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. It's great to be with you. No, it's wonderful to have you. And it's wonderful to have you every time that you're on. Andy, I know that many of our listeners know so much about you, and I'm going to mention throughout the show, go to aapd.com. aapd.com is the website for the American Association of People with Disabilities, and I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm proud to be on the board of AAPD, but, you know, everyone should be a member of AAPD, and if you're listening to this show, I really encourage you throughout listening to Andy, go to AAPD. Com and learn more about this wonderful national organization. But, Andy, for those who do not know you, and I can't imagine who those two people are listening to our show today that don't know you, but to those who do not, how about if you start by telling our listeners how you first got involved as an advocate? Sure. Thanks, Joyce. You know, I, I tell people when I give speeches that I think of myself as a second-generation disability Advocate, I graduated law school in 1990, the year that the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed into law. 
So my entire legal career has occurred after the signing of the ADA, and I feel like I've benefited a great deal from the good work that was done by Justin Dart and Judy Human and Ed Roberts and so many leaders who, you know, laid the, the groundwork for the Americans with Disabilities Act and the independent living and disability rights movements. And, you know, the way I got involved was I graduated law school. I knew I wanted to represent low-income populations, use my law degree to do public interest work, and I got put doing disability benefits the summer after law school, and I ended up applying for a fellowship and getting it to do uh, advocacy for children around SSI and Medicaid. And then in the course of doing that work, I started to realize that my personal experience with bipolar disorder had a connection to the work that I was doing with my clients, and I realized that I had found a calling that was felt very uh, comfortable for me and really helped me think about my own disability, which was relatively new at the time, in a way where it was a source of strength and identity and not something that I needed to be ashamed of or in any way try to play down. Well, that is, um, and I, I wanted to ask you this. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but Andy, your friends and family, how did they react to your disability? Well, you know, I, I think particularly with the psychiatric diagnosis, it, you know, it, it took a while. My wife, it was very direct. She saw it every day, so I think she saw value in me finding a calling that I was comfortable being open about my disability. And But I think especially for my father, it was hard for him to understand why I would want to be open about a condition that had that much stigma associated with it. I remember one time I showed him a newspaper article that, you know, talked about my personal story, and, uh, you know, he looked at it and saw the headline that talked about me having a psychiatric disability, and his reaction was, what, are you insane? <laughs> and that, that, that was my father's personality. He didn't mean it as an insult, but, it, you know, it gives you kind of, I think, you know, for a lot of people that have non-apparent disabilities, there are a lot of people in their lives who got to know them before they had the diagnosis who don't really understand why they want to be so out and open with the diagnosis. Yes, yes, that that is that is true because I know that when I tell people about my epilepsy, I, I know that there are people that uh, have even asked me to this day, you know, do I can they tell someone that I am a person with epilepsy or do I try to keep that secretive? And, of course, the answer is, no, I don't keep it secretive, just as you do not, because that's just part of who we are. But, uh, you know, there are people, Andy, with bipolar disorder and or epilepsy and other hidden disabilities where their family is not accommodating. And we had received many emails from our listeners because you were going to be on the show, including from many of the mental health organizations across the country, wondering if you would mind taking a moment to give advice to young people who are having a problem with their family accepting their disability. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, getting a family to accept one's disability starts with being comfortable and knowledgeable about the disability yourself and recognizing that there's more to know about any disability than the medicine of it. You know, there's one, it's one thing to talk to doctors, get an accurate diagnosis, come up with a plan to manage the disability from a medical standpoint. It's a whole other thing to talk to people who've lived with the condition for years and get their advice on how to manage the condition and how to talk about it in a way that other people understand it. And I know for me, probably the most powerful person that talked to me and helped me 
you know, think about how to manage my own disability was my brother who had another version of the disability and who basically told me to think of it as energy levels. He said, when you're depressed, your energy is down. You know, that's a good time to tend your crops, for, you know, to use an agricultural metaphor. It's a good time to just try to keep things moving, but don't try to initiate a lot of things. He said, when your energy goes up, that's a good time to plant seeds, to try to get things started. And, you know, just be aware of how you're ex- expending energy in both modes. When your energy is low, be careful to expend it on things that matter. And when your energy is up, try to focus it on things that are going to have long-term benefit for you, for your career, for your family, and don't waste it on things that ultimately are not worth expending energy on. Great advice. Great advice right from your own family. Well, Andy, I wanted to talk about several different things today, but before I move on from that, I just want to repeat one thing Andy said. It all starts with you, you know, with your disability. It all starts with you accepting it and knowing that there are going to be people who will really say stupid things to you and who won't accept it, but, you know, it's you. You have to accept yourself and your own disability. That's where it starts with you. Um, Andy, as you know, June 26, 2006, there was a hearing, which I want to give credit right here to Commissioner Christine Griffin for really spearheading this, uh, but with the United States EEOC Commission about the lack of employment for Americans with significant disabilities in the federal government. As a matter of fact, uh, AAPD was one of the witnesses, and they did read uh, the letter that, that you had written I wonder if you could talk about that for a minute and tell us how important you think this hearing is. Well, I think it's important for your listeners to keep in mind that the federal government is the largest employer in the country. And then when you look at the federal government and the federal government as a purchaser of services from federal contractors, you're touching a huge part of the economy. It's not just a Washington, D.C., you know, metropolitan area issue. The federal government exists in every jurisdiction in this country, we've got post offices, we've got federal agencies all over the country and federal contractors spread around the country. So there's a real opportunity with the federal government, with the scale that it has, to be a force for inclusion of people with significant disabilities in competitive jobs with good benefits, with good health care, and with good job mobility opportunities and, you know, upward mobility. And, you know, if you look at the numbers that the EEOC has documented going back to 1993, we're actually moving backward in terms of the employment of people with significant disabilities in the federal government, and we don't really know why. We haven't studied it. We haven't talked to the people who've left the government in the last 10 years to find out why they're leaving. And, you know, from my perspective, this is a real missed opportunity. President Clinton really tried to show leadership on these issues. President Bush, one of the first things he did when he took office, was announced his new freedom initiative. And yet we really haven't been able to translate their rhetoric around including people with disabilities as employees into real jobs with real benefits for more federal workers with significant disabilities. And what, what is your opinion of why that is? Well, Joyce, I think it's complicated, but I have to say part of it is that we don't have a culture in the federal government that is welcoming consistently welcoming of people with all types of disabilities into federal service. You know, part of this starts at the top. It helps to have a president who supports this this kind of an initiative, but it also helps to have the people that are doing the hiring, the people that are supervising, you know, mid-level managers to understand that it's part of what's expected of them as a federal employee 
to welcome people with disabilities, to accommodate them, to help them achieve to their full potential, and to make it part of their performance appraisals. I mean, if somebody is not hiring folks with significant disabilities or is not able to retain folks with significant disabilities, that should be a performance issue for the supervisor. And, you know, I just don't think we have a culture in the federal government where we have the same level of commitment to disability as a diversity issue as we do to some other diversity categories. Well, you know, why that is so sad is that you you would assume, you know, that in the federal government versus the private sector, that there would be more emphasis on education, including disability and diversity training, you know, talking about this, and as you said, actually doing it. But, you know, that hasn't happened, and that is what must change. So I'm so excited that we're bringing attention to this. And we'll talk more about that when I come back from break. We are talking to a real champion, a wonderful leader in this country, Andy Imperato. You're listening to Joyce Bender on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The authority in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, our guest is Jamie Bamber. You'll know him from Battlestar Galactica. He plays Leodama. We talk about Battlestar Galactica and get a look inside of Jamie's life. Of course, we'll cover all the sci-fi news for the week as usual. That's Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo.
bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, we are talking to Andy Imperato, the President and CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities. And right before break, we were talking about the high unemployment of Americans with significant disabilities in the federal government that actually has gone backwards. The employment has gone backwards. And there was a recent hearing, June 28th, at the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, where testimony was provided and, and what all this is about is why is this all happening. And Andy was talking about this before break, uh, but Andy, you were talking to me right before we went to break about policy, policy issues. And it's funny you would bring that up because so many of my customers, when we're talking about this unemployment situation across the United States, say, well, you know, there's a difference between getting involved tactically and strategically, where you create policy to invoke change. Now, can that happen in this case with employment? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of levels of policy that need to change in order for us to realize our potential in terms of employment outcomes. One is in the private sector, trying to get all of the, you know, human resources type policies right. But I would say right now the higher priority is getting the policy right in the public sector. I think that our government you know, notwithstanding the fact that it's been 16 years since the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed into law, I would say that most of the dollars that we're spending to support people with disabilities in the big programs like Social Security, Disability Insurance, Supplemental Security Income, Medicaid, and Medicare, most of those dollars are still, uh, you know, flowing through programs that really don't have a modern view of what it is to have a disability we still have a definition of eligibility for disability benefits where you have to swear to the federal government, even if you're 18 years old, that your disability prevents you from working in order to get the supports that you need to go to college and to try to you know, live as independently as possible. From my perspective, that's immoral. We should not be asking young people to tell us all the things they cannot do in order to give them supports. We should be asking them to tell us all the things they can do, and what can we do as a government to invest in them to help them support themselves. And that's not the way that our large public programs are set up right now, and I think that's a big part of the reason why we're not seeing better employment outcomes. And how do you create that change? Is this by getting your legislator involved, or how do you think that would happen? Well, I think we need to start a conversation about it that is not – right now what I see – you know. Washington, D.C. is very polarized on so many issues. And right now what I see is uh, a small number of people uh, like me <laughs> trying to raise the issue of how can we design disability benefits, health care, and long-term services and supports that are truly designed to support people with disabilities who want to work. Um, and then I have other people saying, well, now is not the right time to have that conversation. If you start talking about that, you know, the people who are running the Congress are just going to try to use your rhetoric to cut the safety net that we have, and people with disabilities are going to be worse off. And I don't think it's a either-or scenario. I don't see why we can't, as disability advocates, 
come to the table trying to design programs that are modern, that aren't grounded in the 1970s views of people with disabilities, and not strengthen the safety net in that process. I think we undermine the safety net when we have anachronistic programs that most people who are actually on the programs don't even like the rules that they have to abide by in order to stay on the programs. I agree with you 100% because many of these programs, as you said, are based in the past on on data that is not accurate today or on financial living standards that are not accurate today because, see, this whole thing with unemployment, no doubt about it, there is an attitudinal barrier that has to come down. I run into it every day of my life. But in addition to that, it's so complex. There's all different issues here we have to deal with. And and I think that that policy, public policy, needs to be changed and really would help move that forward. Now, do you, you work a lot with Cornell, don't you, Andy? We're part of two federally funded research and training centers with Cornell. One is focused on disability statistics, and the other one is focused on disability employment policy. And could you, what, what are they doing presently in that area? Well, one thing I'm excited about, we, AAPD's role on the employment policy uh, research and training center is to uh, take the lead in planning and, and uh, executing forums in D.C. Uh, where we have people from diverse perspectives talking about what they think needs to change from a public policy standpoint in order for us to have better employment outcomes. And we've got a forum coming up on July 28th, just two days after the ADA anniversary, where we're going to take four of our current summer interns, all of whom are college students with disabilities, and let them tell us in their own words without a lot of scripting or preparation coming from, you know, the the grown-up advocates out there what they think needs to change in order for young adults with disabilities to participate in the workforce at a greater level. And I'm really excited about this panel. We've got a young man who went to the Air Force Academy, sustained a spinal cord injury, and now is in college in Kansas, who's interning with Senator Enzi in the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. We've got a young woman with a learning disability who's working for Congressman Steny Hoyer, the Democratic whip. We've got another uh, young man who's blind, who's the head of the disabled student organization at Cornell, who's working for Senator Kennedy. And then we've got a young woman with a mobility-related disability who's working for the uh, National Oceanographic Administration doing information technology work. But I think they're going to be a great panel, and I really look forward to hearing their ideas. Well, that is really great. And AAPD, you have an internship every year, don't you? Yeah, I'm really excited about our, particularly our summer intern programs because this is a program where we have eight college students who work on the Hill for members of the Senate and the House, and then we have ten college students who work in the executive branch doing information technology jobs. The Hill program is funded by the Mitsubishi Electric America Foundation, and the IT program is funded by Microsoft. But to me, the best thing about these two programs is all of these students live together in the undergraduate housing at GW for the summer. And there's really wonderful cross-disability education that goes on where they're learning from each other every day about what it's like to have different types of disabilities. And, you know, they're going through a major life experience of having a job that's challenging and rewarding at the same time that they're learning about this cross-disability community that they're part of. Well, that's good, because that's more involved when you add the social dynamics. That's really great. It really has been wonderful to see the kind of natural peer support 
that can emerge from that. Last summer we had a young man with bipolar disorder with my diagnosis who was working on the Senate side, and he was rooming with a guy who was deaf doing an information technology job. And when they, when they started the summer, the young man with bipolar disorder didn't know any sign language, but over the course of the summer he learned a lot of sign language, and the older man who was the, the information technology intern ended up being a very important natural support for the younger man with bipolar disorder who was going through some tough times just adjusting to the pace in the Senate and the culture in the Senate offices. So they were able to support each other, and they built a friendship that I think is going to last for a long time. That is wonderful. Well, you know, Andy, you just celebrated the 10th year of AAPD. And, again, if you're listening to the show, it's www.aapd.com. You had your 10th anniversary last year, I know, because it's the same as Bender. We're on the same track here. And... I thought you might be able to tell our listeners a little bit about the mission of AAPD. Sure. You know, the AAPD was created on the fifth anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and really the, the concept was when we come together across all of our various labels and we include parents of children with disabilities and we include professionals who support people with disabilities, we have a lot of clout when we come together. So the mission of AAPD is to empower people with disabilities politically and economically. But the way that we try to do that is by organizing the cross-disability community defined broadly as a voting block and as an aggregated market. If we can really deliver votes, uh, not in a partisan way, but show that voting is an important part of our culture and that we work together across all of our organizations to get out our vote, and if we can demonstrate our capacity to do that in big numbers, we're going to have more political power. And if we can reward the companies that are leading uh, employers of people with disabilities and leading and designing products that work well for people with disabilities, then we're going to have economic clout. And until we can bring together that market and that voting block, to a large extent our power is not going to be as great as it could be. Well, I really see AAPD. In my opinion, I, I really see AAPD as the lightning rod, and as, you know, you are a cross-disability organization, but to me, you are the organization that is the voice of Americans with disabilities. And that's why, if you're listening to the show, you really need to get involved with AAPD because, you know, all of these things Andy is talking about are going to impact you and are impacting you right now. Um, Andy, I'm sure that you have seen great changes to AAPD over the past five years? What, what would you say the biggest changes have been? Well, what do you hope to see over the next five years? Well, thank you. Just looking back at the last five years, I think the biggest change has been the rapid growth uh, in the membership, in the budget, and in the staff. And I'm just delighted at how many talented people we have working for the organization. Just in the last year, we've added Gwen Gillenwater, who's our Senior Director for Public Policy and Outreach, who's a voting member of the Medicaid Commission and comes with wonderful grassroots experience and wonderful life experience that she brings to the job and passion for the mission of AAPD. And we just, uh, in May, brought on 
our new Senior Director for Technology and Telecommunications Policy, Jennifer Simpson, who also is just a superstar in terms of her background. She's a parent of a 21-year-old with a significant disability, and she's worked at the Federal Communications Commission, at the President's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities, and at UCP before that as a real real superstar technology advocate. So from my perspective, it's just been fun to watch the staff capacity grow and to see how much more we can accomplish with those kinds of, of really talented staff. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back to break. If you just joined us, you are in for a treat. You're listening to Andy Imperato on our show today, the president and CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. At Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S. and www.BenderOfCanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.BenderConsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We are talking to Andy Imperato, the CEO and President of the American Association of People with Disabilities, and I think we have a caller on the line. Charlie, are you on the line? 
Yes, I am, Joyce. How are okay. you? Hey, Charlie. It's so great to hear from you. Well, thank you. Hi, Andy. Hey, Charlie. How's everyone? Oh, we're doing great. We're in the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, home of the All-Star Game tonight. <laughs> Except Andy, of course, is not here, and neither are you, but it's very nice to hear from you. And, Charlie, Hi. you've been involved with Andy for quite a while, right? Yes, yes, uh, I have, and a uh, big admirer. I've been listening to you tell everyone how wonderful he is, and I'll second the motion. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Hammerman. Charlie also could be a guest on this show because... He is one of these wonderful people that, you know, he's behind the scenes, and he's behind the scenes doing so many wonderful things for people with disabilities. But, Charlie, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about how you, you became involved with AAPD and with Andy and, 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 and what your interests are. Well, I was uh, very fortunate that uh, when I was working at Merrill Lynch on Wall Street, I uh, was approached uh, and introduced to Andy uh, and his wonderful staff uh, through a program that we ran, and uh, we've uh, become fast friends uh, for over the last three-plus years, uh, and I've uh, become a very great supporter of AAPD, both uh, professionally and, and personally, uh, in the last year. Uh, moved away from Wall Street to run a disability institute, so uh, working hand-in-hand with Andy on a lot of different issues. So uh, that's sort of uh, my connection to AAPD. I know that this, the focus of this call uh, and interview has been the uh, 16th anniversary of the ADA. So my question to Andy is a little more focused since he and I are both lawyers uh, it's a law that was created 16 years ago. What's your sense and view of what the judiciary has done with this law um, originally and I would say over you know, the past few years, uh, and, and is there any trends that uh, we should be focused on? Well, Charlie, thank you for that question, and thanks for your leadership on so many issues. You know, I... I've been very frustrated with the courts and, and pretty outspoken in my frustration. Uh, we've had a number of bad decisions from the Supreme Court interpreting everything from the definition of disability in the ADA to the scope of congressional authority under the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. On the definition issue, we've got people with epilepsy, diabetes, breast cancer, uh, mental illness, any number of conditions who the courts are saying do not come under the protection of, of the ADA because they're functioning too well, notwithstanding their diagnoses. And, you know, that really creates a bad situation where people can experience discrimination on the job but can't combat that discrimination because they're functioning too well. It's just, it's really uh, not what Congress intended when they passed the ADA, and we're hoping to restore the protections to people with epilepsy and other conditions. I know Joyce is very involved with the Epilepsy Foundation. I really want to credit Tony Coelho, the chair of that board, and Sandy Finucane, who's a senior staff member who runs their legal and government affairs shop, who really are leading the way in trying to restore the ADA with strong support from AAPD. On the constitutional issue, that's going to be a lot harder for us to fix. I mean, when, when the Supreme Court decides that Congress doesn't have the authority to protect the civil rights of people with disabilities when the people doing the discrimination are their own state governments. Uh, that's not a simple thing for us to fix. Unfortunately, we either need a constitutional amendment, we need new hearings to document a history of unconstitutional discrimination by the states, 
or we need new members of the Supreme Court who are more embracing of uh, disability as a civil rights issue. So, you know, from my perspective in the disability field, we're still waiting for a Brown versus Board of Education type decision that really gets disability rights from a constitutional standpoint. And unfortunately, I think we're going to be waiting for that for quite some time. Oh, Leo, that is sad to hear. Charlie, do you have any comment about that? No, no, no. I'm just uh, listening and enjoying Andy's uh, experience. I think uh, uh, one of the other things that I would uh, be fascinated to hear Andy's view on since I am a parent of a 16-year-old daughter with uh, cerebral palsy and have been in the school system for uh, obviously the last 14 years, is, Andy, your sense of the uh, sort of blending of the IDEA um, legislation from way back in the 70s, the ADA um, uh, from the 90s, and, and where do you think uh, the new trend is going to be going in terms of do we need more legislation, do we need less legislation? What is what is your sense of where the future is going to go? Well, Charlie, you know, I, I really think your daughter is the future in a lot of ways. I mean, I described myself at the beginning of the call as a second-generation disability act advocate. I'm hoping your daughter is going to leave my generation in the dust with her advocacy. To me, the most important thing that we can do for young people with disabilities is help them get in touch with their own power, help them get in touch with their own ability to be their own best advocates. And, you know, I don't feel like we're doing enough in the schools to teach people how to take responsibility for their own lives, how to manage the support that they need to, to achieve all of their goals, and how to be their own best advocates. And I think that's a talent that parents can cultivate in their children, but it's also something that can be taught in the schools. And we have way too many people graduating from high school who've been in special education throughout their their K through 12 schooling who don't have self-advocacy skills, who don't have work experience, who don't have knowledge of their civil rights in the workplace, in housing, and in, other, in higher education. And that's a crime. I mean, we have these folks in school. We've identified their disabilities. Why aren't we working with them to truly empower them? And, you know, I'm, Charlie, I'm curious, from your perspective as a parent, is your daughter getting what she needs? And if she is, I think that's great. But, unfortunately, I think she's probably in the minority. Well, I think, you know, obviously we know each other, so you'll know the fact that my daughter happens to be getting pretty much what she needs, but not because the school district's paying attention. It's because I, as the parent, have been educating them about um, what resources are available. So we happen to be in a school district that is uh, willing to do things, but they're just not educated. And the the uh, problem is, is that the parent who would come into the next meeting after mine, who may not be as educated on these things as I am, uh, may be missing out for their child. And there is no standard. Uh, there's no standard state by state. There's no standard district by district within the state. Um, and obviously that's something I think both you and I are working very hard together um, to, to try to get to that stage. I know I've been listening uh, to the show since it started uh, at 2 o'clock, um, and I'm going to reiterate what you know Joyce is saying, is that for any of the listeners who are not already tapped into APD, uh, the only way that we're going to have any sort of great movement here is in numbers and proving to people that there are numbers 
and they should tap into APD uh, on the web or call and become members so that we can keep the numbers growing. Thanks, Charlie. Agree, Charlie. Thank you so much for calling in, and we'll look forward to having you on again. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks, both. I'll catch up with you soon. All right, and you, you know, you heard true words. www.aapd.com. You can't know what's going on if you know you're cloaked in ignorance. You've got to get involved. Got to get involved. And AAPD has an absolutely tremendous website and newsletter for their members, and you need to join. Andy, how much is it to join as a member? It's uh, $15 to join for one year, uh, $25 for two years, and $10 if you're a student. We also waive the fee for anybody that can't afford the $15. And, And let me tell you what, you know why this organization is all about doing the right thing for the right reason, and I, I will tell you, if you're listening to the show, I've had many of my employees join AAPD, and I will continue doing that because, you know, where else are we going to get all this information? We must be united if we want to see change. Well, Andy, um, before we went to break, I had asked you about the biggest changes you've seen over the past five years. What do you hope to see at AAPD over the next five years? Well, you know, one of the things that has happened, particularly in the last three years, Joyce, is we've brought some real superstars onto our board of directors, including you. (laughs) And one of the things that I'm really hoping to see over the next five years is for us to really start to leverage that volunteer talent and take the organization from good to great. I mean, from my perspective, we've accomplished a lot in our first ten years, but we're really just getting started. And what we would really like to do is take our strong brand that we have in Washington, D.C., and really push it outside the Beltway into Nebraska, into Pennsylvania, into Arizona, into California, Washington State, even Alaska and Hawaii, to really start to make an impact on the lives of people with disabilities around the country, not just through our public policy work, but through organizing people on the ground and giving them something to be excited about and giving them a real sense of ownership that this is their organization and that we're accountable to and responsible to them. And I think that's going to require us to really pay more attention to talking on a regular basis with our membership, you know, through polls, through surveys, through through the Internet, through whatever means we can, and through a lot of traveling so that we can really hear from our grassroots constituents what they want, what their vision for the future of AAPD is, and really be accountable to them. And you know what? I believe in AAPD so much that I hope we are one of the first pilots, Andy, we're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we can have a satellite office right here in my facility, someone working here connected with AAPD, because, you know, I feel honored to be part of this. As Andy said at the beginning, Andy and I both are in that second wave of leadership since the AAPD was signed. You know, I was not fortunate enough that I was involved at the beginning. I wasn't there the day the ADA was signed. Andy was even involved before I was involved, you know, in this. And it's so exciting to be part of change. And you can be part of change. You know, if you're a young person listening to this show, believe me, AAPD is all about getting young people involved. www.aapd.com. If you want to celebrate this Americans with Disabilities Act, this is a great organization to get involved with. We're going to go to break. 
We'll be right back. If you just joined, we're talking to Andy Aparado, the president and CEO of the American Association of People with Disabilities. This is Joyce Bender on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We are talking to Andy Imperato, the CEO and President of the American Association of People with Disabilities. And I think we have a caller on the line, Joan. Hello. Hey, Joan. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Andy. Hey, Joan, good to hear your voice. Good to be heard. <laughs> Joan, you must be so excited today it, because it, here it, we are. Yes. Pittsburgh, home of the All-Star Game. Home of the All-Star Game in the most accessible ballpark in the country. That you worked on. Yes. ADA, and congratulations. Yes, thank you. When I was at the Home Run Derby and I saw the uh, closed captioning, I'm sitting there thinking, there's Joan. Yes, actually <laughs> it's open captioning. And yes. It, and, and it... What makes P- that is one of the facets that makes PNC Park and the Pittsburgh Pirates unique because the ADA only requires closed captioning. But what the Pirates did was they have hired a full-time stenographer so that everything that is said live over the PA system is put up on the scoreboard as it is spoken by a full-time stenographer. Yeah, that is so awesome. I mean, I, re- I, I honestly, I was thinking about you last evening <laughs> as I was sitting there, you know, watching that. But anyway, Joan, Joan Stein, ADA Inc., thank you for calling in. You have a question. Well, I have a comment, and, it, and it's a question and a comment, and it really relates to the phenomenal efforts 
that AAPD has been making and continues to make on voters' rights and the whole issue of getting out the vote um, for people of people with disabilities for people with disabilities. I was just at a meeting this morning at the Mental Health Association and we were talking about the tremendous effort that everybody needs to make to get people to register to vote and then to vote, but it still strikes me um, and, and concerns me greatly the efforts that aren't being made by um, voter, voting officials to make modifications to their polling sites to make them accessible and still the problems that we're facing with getting accessible voting machines. Andy, are you seeing any any further progress in preparation for the 2006 election, for, for, the, for the November election? Well, thank you for that question, Joan, and as I'm sure you're in the middle of all this in Pennsylvania, you know that um, it's been an uphill battle. I mean, I, you know, I think we had a very significant victory that I'm proud to say Jim Dixon at APD played a large role in, in terms of getting the Help America Vote Act passed mm -hmm. and getting strong requirements for voters to be able to vote independently and privately for the first time. Right. That's a very significant victory. Yes. Yes. Translating that statutory victory into reality has been quite a challenge. The, the accessibility requirements in the Help America Vote Act uh, kicked in in January of this year. So the jurisdictions had a long time to prepare. And instead of buying accessible equipment that was on the market, many of them dragged their feet. Many of them uh, did not uh, work closely with the disability community to identify the best possible equipment that would meet the needs of voters with disabilities. And we ran into this buzzsaw called the paper trail movement mm -hmm. that did not really exist in any significant form during the Help America Vote Act, but immediately when we had this requirement for accessible voting, we had computer scientists at Stanford and Johns Hopkins and other universities who, who had no background in election administration start talking about how these computers were going to be hacked into by 15-year-olds and how they were going to change the outcome of elections. Mm -hmm. So that's been a real challenge for us at APD trying to address the paper trail movement, which has a very strong grassroots following, and trying to find accessible technology that produces a paper trail that is accessible for voters with all types of disabilities. I think the technology is going to get there, but I'm very frustrated that we had this huge legislative victory, but the implementation has been so weak. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my whole issue in addition to that is an accessible machine doesn't do you any good if you can't get into the polling site. Well, and I do want to give the Bush Justice Department some credit on that issue because we advocated strongly when Alex Acosta was the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights that the Justice Department take a strong position that an accessible machine is meaningless if you don't have an accessible polling right. place. And right. the Justice Department interpreted the language in the Help America Vote Act to require not just accessible machines, but physically accessible polling places. Yes. But again, the enforcement of that requirement has been relatively weak. Yes. And, and unfortunately, without the enforcement, you know, having, having worked, um, with the ADA requirements for 14 years now, I still get people saying to me, I'm not going to do anything until I have to. And without the enforcement or without the individual enforcement, and I think that's where the empowerment of every individual saying, okay, it, I have the empower, I am empowered to enforce it, I can file a complaint. 
and getting individuals out there because the 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 other aspect of it is that we we have to register to vote and we have to be able to vote because that's how we can change the face of America. And Joan, the only thing I would add is we also and I really want to encourage Joyce's listeners to document any problems you have. If you're trying to vote in a primary or in the general election this year, document any Absolutely. problems you have. If you have trouble getting into a polling place, APD wants to hear about it. The Justice Department should hear about it. Absolutely. If you have trouble voting on the machines that they provide for voters, document it. Let us know about it at APD. Let the Justice Department know about it. Let your local protection and advocacy agency know about it because the law requires people with disabilities to be able to vote independently and in privacy. There are no exceptions in the law, but if we don't go out there and document the problems, then we're not going to be able to see change in the next election cycle. Exactly, exactly. Amen. Yeah, okay. Now, do you, so you understand if you're listening to the show, Help America Vote Act is here. It's now. Mm-hmm. When you go to vote, you should be able to get into the building. It should be accessible, and you should be able to go in independently. Yes. Take care of your vote. If that is not how it is, and privately, speak up. Mm-hmm. Speak up once again. www.aapd.com. Get involved. Join this wonderful organization. Yes. Joan, thank you for calling. Great job at the stadium. Thank you. And I am proud to be an AAPD member. And okay. Joan, we're delighted to have you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Joan. Bye. Well, Andy, as usual, anytime I have you on the show, you know, I'll never get through all my questions because this show goes so quickly, but there are a couple things I wanted to ask you. One is, at AAPD, so many accomplishments you've made. Oh, I mean the gala. The gala is like, as I refer to it, the Academy Awards of the Disability Community. Everyone should go to the AAPD gala. It's fantastic. Your internship that you're doing, you know, your involvement in the Help America Vote Act, this increased success at the organization and your staff, so many things. What are you the proudest of, though? You know, I have to tell you, Joyce, the thing that makes the biggest impact on me is when we can make a a difference in the life of an individual, uh, particularly a young person with a disability, although really any individual with a disability. And just to hold up one example, Stacy Cervenka, who's a blind woman, was one of our congressional interns three summers ago. She worked for Senator Sam Brownback from Kansas. She was not from Kansas, and his office hired her nonetheless to be a, an intern in that office. She had a great experience. She was convinced that she wanted to come back and work for Senator Brownback when she graduated. Two years later, she applied for a job with Senator Brownback and got hired, and she now works full-time for Senator Brownback. Um, you know, to me, that's the alumni of all these programs really are a very powerful group that can really drive systems change in so many ways. And I'm just so excited about Stacy and what she represents. I'm also really excited about Chris Cox, who's a good friend of Stacy's. They're both involved with the National Federation of the Blind. Chris is a great example of a disability advocate who became the head of a state agency, cabinet-level state agency in Maryland for people with disabilities, who Governor Ehrlich has now nominated as his lieutenant governor running mate in Maryland. That's exactly why AAPD exists. We're not taking credit for her getting uh, you know, nominated as the lieutenant governor, but we are very excited that people with disabilities and strong disability advocates are taking leadership roles in 
you know, mainstream political jobs like lieutenant governor. That, to me, is a sign of progress, and it's by voting and by making voting a priority that we can empower candidates with disabilities. Well, you are doing it, and you are making it happen. And, you know, that's just doesn't surprise me that that would be your answer because I can truly tell you from the day I've known Andy, it's always been about helping people with disabilities. He is a very humble, modest person who's doing a fantastic job. That's why I always tell Andy, as soon as he runs for president or senator, I'll be the first person <laughs> behind him when he moves forward. I just think you're doing a great job there. But you know what? Don't, don't just listen to this. Do something about it. www.aapd.com. Join today. Join this organization. You know why? need to know what's going on. You need to know what's going on. If you're not educated, you can't protect yourself. So, Andy, you've talked about a lot of things, but I did want to ask you about one other thing since we're talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. We know we have all of these obstacles, such as employment. What have you seen as the greatest employment, the greatest area of improvement, excuse me, over the past 16 years? I would point to the fact that our our buses and our our architectural infrastructure is dramatically more accessible than it was 15 years ago. I think attitudes are the slowest to change, but if we can build an accessible infrastructure and get society used to accessibility, that's going to lead to attitude change over time. Well, do you have a message you would like to leave with our listeners today? Vote early and often. As Justin Dart would say, if your life depends on it, right? Absolutely. Vote early and vote often. We always end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader or a CEO or executive who has influenced the lives of people with disabilities. And today, it is from none other than Andy Imperato, who said, Most disabled people would tell you that the bigger concerns they have around the workplace are not around physical accessibility. They're more around attitude." I think it's easier to legislate and see change around bricks and mortar than it is around attitudes. How true those words are. Andy, thank you for joining us today. Good luck with AAPD. Thanks, Joyce. And we'll see all of you next week. Don't forget tonight, All-Star Game, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Don't forget to watch it. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.